The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to this edition of Wizards Half Mini Episode 32.5. Yes, these are the episodes where we cover all the stuff we didn't get to in the main episode. Issue 32 of Wizard was jam packed, and there's still so much more to discuss with you today. So, without further ado, Michael, take it away. So, here we are again to talk about the top 10 comics of March. 1994. So, Stephen... This time, let's go 1 to 10, because we tend to miss the jokes often, and so I feel like we should go forward, even though it feels wrong. It feels wrong. I'll start with number one. Yeah, you should, because this is a book that you've talked about before. I love this book. Uh, number one is Marvel's Number One by Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek. Busiek? Busiek? How do you say it? I usually say Busiak, but maybe... Okay, well, whatever you said is right. So it says, Welcome to this month's version of Boy, the rankings may change, but the books never do, otherwise known as the Wizard Top 10 Hottest Comics. Uh, Marvel's has been the big hit of the winter season, and the first issue is the hardest of the bunch to track down thus far. Not only did this book have a daunting $5.95 cover price, it had an acetate cover. If your local shop owner doesn't bag his new releases, we bet you sure had a tough time tracking down a copy of this baby which shouldn't have fingerprints or smears. If you were lucky enough to track one down, you know that this book is amazing. It's Alex Ross art and Kurt Busiek story, Kick Major Butt. Once again, I love this. I love this comic. I love this whole series. I bought it when it came out. And uh, to be honest, a $6 comic in 94 is a steep price. And people were buying this thing up like crazy. Well, here's what I think happened for me. And I feel very lucky for this. I I think I got it at Toys R Us in a two pack for much cheaper. Really? They used to have like comic books near the video game section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Toys R Us, and I think I got it in a two pack for cheaper than the cover price. Hmm. And that's the that's you know the version I still have. So that's cool. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. So number two is a book we talked about before is Wolverine seventy five, artist Adam Kubert and writer Larry Hama. How much do you think it hurts to have all the bones sucked out of your body through newly made orifices, no less. Well, that's the price you pay if you're an overused superhero whose continuity is as convoluted and annoying as can be. So aside from the step up to this Ish's story, are they trying to abbreviate issue? Yeah, they're trying to abbreviate issue as oh, ish. Oh God! Ish. This is this is the this is the pre-Twitter uh, abbreviation world. Oh God, gross! What's hot about this book? For starters, retailers underordered this puppy, thinking that it wasn't going to be much of an event. Geez, 
Did they call it wrong? Fans ate this puppy up quicker than a redneck can suck meat from a bone. <laughs> wow. God, what? That's some east that's some, you know, East Coast humor over that's there. A, that's a deep cut East Coast joke. Coastal elites at Wizard. Yeah, really. This entertaining issue, which deals with the after effects of Magneto's de-adamantizing Wolvie, is a milestone in comics history, proof of which is it's placing number two in the top ten this month. But, I mean, he eventually gets his adamantium back, right? Like, yeah, but man, this is a huge deal. This is what? like, you know, Batman getting his back broken uh, kind of level of, of comic book gossip at my middle school. That's true. I would People agree. People were really excited about this one. So what so, do you got for number three? Number three is what I believe was the first Marvel's book that I read, Marvel's number two. Huh, interesting. Artist Alex Ross, writer Kurt Busiek. Would you look at here? It's a new entry in this tremendous 10, unbelievable as that may seem. The second issue of Marvel's, also sporting a pesky acetate cover, is just as awe-inspiring as the first. We get to see the wedding of Reed Richards and Sue Storm, the first appearance of the Sentinels, and the advent of the anti-mutant hysteria that's still prevalent today. The discerning reader will also catch glimpses of Norman Osborn, the original Green Goblin, for you dark book impaired, <laughs> the Beatles, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, and others. All in all, this book is a veritable feast for the eyes. That's kind of cool. This is great classic it's a you know beautiful cover though this this you know archangel or angel at the time flying in it just looks really really cool it's a beautiful cover it is and it, as i've mentioned before on this podcast this is the first comic book that made me cry really? um the storyline of the little girl just had me really emotional and i read it on a flight to florida I was just sitting there reading. I hope you didn't tell your friends in middle school, I was crying over this comic. Well, no. I just I did it quietly on an airplane. <laughs> oh my god. This story's so beautiful. <laughs> it was. It was beautiful. I stand by those tears. So number four is Moon Knight 55. We don't need to go into it other than the fact that it says five straight months in the top ten, boys and girls. That's how hot Moon Knight 55 is. Why did this book take retailers and everyone else for that matter by storm? Because Stephen Platt's fan favorite artwork and style reminiscent of, of, you know, what's his name? That guy who draws Spawn. Whatever. Anyway, fans' reaction to this book once they saw the art, plus the fact that most retailers about ordered half a dozen copies, created a f the familiar low-supply, high-demand situation on which Wizards' top 10 comics seem to thrive. Anywho, given Platt's departure from the book, and Marvel, for that matter, Image basically has all the rights to it, I guess. Whatever. Who cares? But yeah, we've talked about this book a million times. Moving on. Great. Good. So, number five. When I looked at this quickly, I thought this was just a... Spider-Man comic, but no, it's Moon Knight 57 with Spider-Man on the cover in a very McFarlane pose, mm -hmm. but the artist is Stephen Platt. Yeah. And it says the second new edition this month is another one of those in huge demand, but no one has a lot of them. Moon Knight issues drawn by Stephen Platt. It appears that this Platt character has attracted quite a fan following by utilizing a McFarlane-esque style you fans love. His rendition of Spider-Man has used kids frothing at the mouth once again. <laughs> East Coast humor. Yep. This book, like the two Platt Moon Knight issues before it, 
did a Houdini-like disappearing act from the nation's comic shelves. Number 60 shows signs of being the most heavily ordered Moon Knight book since the title's third inception. To celebrate the event, Marvel canceled the series. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, okay. Number six, Gambit number one by artist Lee Weeks and writer Howard Mackey. Is it me, or does every Marvel character have a miniseries? The Scarlet Witch had a miniseries, and she's one character that definitely did not scream miniseries. Wow. But she did scream TV show there, Wizard, by the yeah, way. Yeah, t- times have changed, baby. Yeah, right? Scarlet and Witch is very popular. Very popular. And Gambit? This series was okay, but couldn't it have fit into a regular X-Men story? Regardless, fans really got into this almost solo story of the Ragin' Cajun, who teamed up with Miss soon-to-be-a-toy-biz action figure, Rogue. The retailers found themselves with a very hot commodity. The story deals with Gambit's returning to New Orleans, reuniting with his wife and father, and, of course, dealing with some unfriendlies. Wow. They thought that Scarlet Witch was so unpopular that didn't need a miniseries. Now she got she's like the biggest character in the MCU right now. This goes to show you what happens when you, when you do a character well. Number seven. Oh, my God. It's Daredevil 319. We've talked about this on the podcast a hundred times. Don't even bother reading it. Yeah. The only funny thing that they say in there is that, is that it's suffering from under-order-itis. So <laughs> I'll, give him, I'll give him that joke. Yeah. Oh, my God. Number eight's really going to upset you. Yeah. Number eight. Ninjak number one. Artist Joe Quesada. Writer Mark Moretti. Did Valiant ever say anything about this book being bi-monthly? No. Though it's a long wait between issues, Ninjak is one of the best reads out there. With the superb storytelling of Mr. Mark Moretti and the top-shelf artwork of Joe Quesada. Whoever hasn't picked up a copy of this little gem is really missing out, if on nothing else, that the opportunity to marvel at how gross Dr. Silk is. Retailers still feeling the sting of the past summer's lethal comic glut ordered this chromium-covered little ditty very conservatively, not expecting that it would take off once the fans caught wind of how good this book really is. Yay. Big yay. So number nine, another book we've covered before, Daredevil Man Without Fear, number one. Artist John Romita Jr., writer, my favorite, Frank Miller. Uh, now, that, now that every book in this miniseries has shipped, we must admit that we have a tear in our collective eye. The reason we're so sad, because we don't have our monthly Frank Miller Daredevil fix until who knows when. Boy, would you regret having a Frank Miller fix. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they keep going on and on about this storyline. We've covered it before. If you like Frank Miller and Daredevil, you'll like that. Yeah. Number 10, the third and final Moon Knight installment on this list, Moon Knight 56. And basically, it literally says, Moon Knight? Again? For those who came in late, we'll sum it up briefly. Stephen Platt, Stephen Platt, Stephen Platt, yada, 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 keeps going on and on and on. Deep breath, Stephen Platt, Stephen Platt, etc., etc. And that's basically all it says. Yeah. 
<laughs> great. It, it, I hope at least one of those three Moon Knight books is off the list next month. I really do. Yeah, me too. And I guess we're covering 33 tomorrow night in our schedule. I know if you're listening to the half issue now, you're not going to yeah, hear it gonna, tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So well, I guess we'll see. Um, unless you subscribe to Patreon, then you'll hear it the next day, basically. Oh, oh. Oh, hey. Sell on the Patreon. Anyway, so that's our top 10 list for March of 1994. I'm going to throw it back to Adam and see what we have next on the mini episode. Hey there, geeks! Adam calling in on the 2099 Hotline. This is the segment where I take you through Marvel's world of tomorrow. And this time around, we're jacking right into your wetware. Ugh, sounds dirty. For some extreme action with Ghost Rider 2099. Premiering in May of 1994, Ghost Rider 2099 was the new kid on the block for Marvel's Futureverse, but he came in hot, if you'll pardon the pun. Written by Len Kaminsky with art by Chris Bocciolo and Mark Buckingham, this was a reimagining of the Spirit of Vengeance with a cyberpunk edge. The cover of the issue number one had the standard 2099 mechanical border, but it was enhanced with a shiny, almost holographic effect that reflected many different colors in a certain light, so Ghost Rider's skull looked very cool. But enough of my yapping about the cover, let's see what the hot buzz was about inside the comic. So this issue opens with Ghost Rider in his full form, pursuing a cyber gang member in a futuristic motorcycle chase, demanding to know, who paid the artificial kids to grease the hotwire martyrs? He's told that Jeter did the deal, and we go into a flashback. Is it Michael Jeter from Evening Shade? Probably not. Now, at this point, we are presented in the flashback with a guy named Zero in black goggles, a leather jacket, and hair that would make Robert Smith of The Cure very proud. But Zero is being chased by Jeter and says through inner monologue, quote, I was carrying 500 megs of hot data in a Latvian biochip implant. So yeah, very Johnny Namon. Here. Zero is then shot by Jeter, and while wandering the street bleeding after ditching his bike, he sees a TV store display, which looks like it has tube TVs in the window, which would be very outdated by 2099. But anyway, angered by the false images of perfection being broadcast, he takes a baseball bat to the screen, shouting, It's all lies! 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 The whole stinking world! This civilization sucks! He then finds a phone booth, more outdated tech? And he jacks in via a port behind his ear. It really seems like the makers of Hackers and Keanu ought to get together to sue. Anyway, he asks a girl named Kylie to record the call. Then Jeter shows up and Zero's body is being killed but we see his screaming cyber form flying through this electronic world. He's kind of looks like, I don't know, it's hard to say. He's like metallic, but he's stretchy and he's like all distorted. Zero eventually ends up in a hidden section of the net called the Ghost Works. And there's a cool effect where we see his silhouette, but it's filled in by ones and zeros to represent that he's now made up of binary code. Our hero is met by a floating 20th century TV with Rod Serling of the Twilight Zone on the screen that identifies him as Kenshiro Cochran. So Zero is obviously just his hacker name. Taking many different forms, this TV shows Marlon Brando and the 
Godfather and David Letterman, among others, and invites Zero to become an antiviral agent in their mission to take down corrupt leadership in society, to which Zero responds, quote, You need an army, but the TV is adamant. Armies are no good. War is what we're trying to prevent. We need a symbol, a cultural myth figure. Zero responds that he was born ready, and they upload his consciousness into a, quote, silicon and carbon steel, fiber optics, super-dense metatasking nanoprocessors, and enough integrated hard ordinance to make payback by the time. So I guess that means it's time to describe the look of Ghost Rider 2099. Imagine Arnold in Terminator 2, except without the skin. So he's basically a shiny metal skeleton in a leather jacket with glowing orange energy around his head and bulky mechanical arms which have the ability to reconfigure themselves into various weapons. His bike looks straight out of Judge Dredd except that it's like a hover model with no wheels on the ground. So, by the end of the issue, Ghost Rider has located Jeter and intimidates his killer, demanding to know who paid for the attack on the Hotwire Martyrs. And after revealing the name Demonix, Jeter shouts, What more you want? To which Ghost Rider responds, quote, One word, pussbag. Vengeance. As a flaming chainsaw pops out of his arm in an intense full-page image. Yeah, the art in this book is grimy and wild. They use an interesting ink splatter effect that sets the book apart from the more standard, you know, straight lines and inking of other 2099 books. Really, it's very influenced by the British 2099 AD style, which is much more appealing at this point than the defunct Marvel UK line. But a great setup to the characters of frankly, a much more efficient origin than the two or three issues it took to understand all that had happened with Miguel O'Hara in the early issues of Spider-Man 2099. One more fun thing to mention about this issue is that it came bound with an uncut three-card preview of the Mark Bagley Spider-Man trading card set, promoting them as Master Prints, which were 6 by 10 oversized cards, one of which came packed in with issue 33 of Wizard. Uh, also, there is a two-page ad for the High C X-Men Pogs promotion. This was the only time in my life that I was allowed to drink High C as a kid, but I mailed away for my Pogs and I still have and treasure that set to this day. Now, issue two gives us a look at the Demonics Corporation. By the way, this is D forward slash M-O-N-I-X. Demonics kind of crazy. Just a bunch of greedy old guys in suits led by Mr. Womack. The ultimate evil, you know, to hip anti-establishment cyberpunks. Also, Zero's friend Kylie teams up with a young hacker calling himself Dr. Neon, trying to make himself known out there, and he says he can help her track down her missing friend. Meanwhile, we see Ghost Rider has a cloaking camouflage ability, which he uses to avoid law enforcement now that he has been seen on the news. Also, we learn that he can run out of power, so daily recharging is a concern. Anyway, by the end of the issue, Ghost Rider is confronted by law enforcement who look very different than the flyboys that work for Alchemax that we see in the other 2099 books. They have mech suits and just a lot more uh, artillery that they're dealing with, which leads leads into a full-on battle that opens issue three, where our hero shouts, quote, Stinking Nazi lobsters, think you're so tough, but to me you're nothing more than canned meat. 
He orders up his body to create some claw fingers and skewers the face of one of the pilots before running away on foot. Then we get another flashback to Zero and his buddy, who is named Werewolf, W-A-R-E-W-O-L-F, the night their crew was attacked by Jeter and his gang. It's a reconstructed memory which is being induced by the suits at Demonics who have Werewolf's corpse and could access the memories in the brain. Now, not much is learned here that we didn't already know. They got attacked and... There you go. Back in the present, though, Ghost Rider continues to fight off his pursuers and eventually gets away by displaying another new function of this warbot body. It can compress itself and then project a solidogram camouflage system image, aka like a tangible holographic image of his old body to make him appear human. So, you know, the transformation, there's nothing to do with the blood of the innocent being spilt or the time of day, but now he has a way to have a secret identity, which he uses to find a safe house and get a recharge. Now, issue three ends with Zero in human form going to a bar and running into his friend Werewolf, who we thought was dead but after a few panels of catching up we see that werewolf isn't well and suddenly he transforms into a giant red robot werewolf w-e-r-e-w-o-l-f oh my so issue four of course is the showdown between ghost rider and werewolf who is being controlled by demonics so the twist on this fight is that the human side of werewolf is trying to fight through the programming as ghost rider is trying to avoid hurting his friend meanwhile kylie and dr neon get captured by demonics and interrogated at one point kylie breaks away and finds zero's dead body in a lab where she says quote you can't go and be dead on me you son of a glitch you still owe me money which is a pretty hilarious misdirect <laughs> we also learned why demonics was after zero and his crew apparently they had hacked a system and stolen some important encrypted data which they now have in hand having taken the disc off of Zero's dead body. Now back on the street as the two Robopunks battle awkwardly, Werewolf demands quote, kill me, I don't want to live like this, but Ghost Rider is still reluctant. Luckily, law enforcement joins the fray and blows Werewolf away, but with his dying breath Werewolf reveals who at Demonics resurrected him as this monster. With vengeance on his mind Ghost Rider attacks the police with laser eye beams, hey, that's new, then threatens them by suggesting, quote, Better email the body banks. Tell them to get ready for rush hour. Yeah, so Ghost Rider 2099 loves to end on these full page intense images. And I gotta say, it's worth it. Like, the art is in service of the storytelling. It really creates an awesome mood and feeling of this cyberpunk world, which you would think would have been in the 2099 universe all along. But this one definitely feels more edgy, more intense. And yeah, you can just hear like the techno soundtrack as you're reading along with it. So it's, it's a really good book. I was actually surprised being one of the later series. I wasn't sure how Ghost Rider 2099 would stack up, but it's got a pretty good story so far. And like I say, just the unique visuals that are tied to it, everything seems to be working in tandem. And hey, that cool shiny metal skeleton in a leather jacket, that is hip. And uh, that's about all I have to say about it for now. So until next time, see you in the future. Now we've got the top 10 heroes and villains of March of 1994. 
number one is Spawn. Number two is Spider-Man. Number three is Batman. Number four is Wolverine. Number five is Sabretooth. Number six is Prime for whatever reason. Number seven is Superman. Number eight is Catwoman. Number nine is Gambit. And number 10 is Green Lantern. Interesting. But the mask, it kind of looks like a weird mask. Like it looks like it's Kyle Rayner's mask on Hal Jordan's head. And then it says Mort of the Month. Now it's time to look at the lamest character of the month, or as we like to call him, the Mort of the Month. And it is Bouncing Boy. <laughs> okay. Weird. Kind of funny though. Homemade Heroes. Homemade Heroes. Homemade Heroes. Homemade Heroes. What up, everyone? It's Steven, and I'm here with Homemade Heroes. Did you like how I didn't sound sure of my own name there? Yeah, that happens. It's been a long week. Working a lot. How are you all doing? Are you all working a lot? Seems like I work more now than I did pre-COVID. But anyway, so this is a big month in Homemade Heroes. There are actually two contests going on. First up, we have the Ultraverse figure winners. That's right. There was an Ultraverse contest. Uh, It says the following grand prize winners competed in the Ultraverse contest in Wizards 28 and 29. Each grand prize winner receives a frame page of original art from an Ultraverse title signed by the artist. That actually sounds kind of like a cool, cool little prize there. Congratulations to all. So first we have Rune. R-U-N-E. I've never heard of this character. Uh, it says it's it's the creation of John Weebry of Spokane, Washington. He was made from a Toy Biz multi-jointed Spider-Man. I can see that. Sludge. Kind of looks like a big swamp thing, but gray. If you thought swamp thing was too green, you might like Sludge. Uh, he was created from a Toy Biz tusk with lots of sludge goo, added by John Parkinson of Leonardo, New Jersey. Leonardo, New Jersey. Isn't that like a Kevin Smith thing? Wasn't that a whole thing in uh, that show with the clerks? That was animated. Anyway, moving on. Prototype is the proud creation of Richard Medley of Salinas, California, and was slapped together from a Toy Biz Apocalypse figure. In parentheses, the really ugly first one. Yeah, I can confirm that was an ugly toy. Prototype. Don't know who that is either. Finally, someone that I, I do know who this character is, Prime. We've talked about him all the time. I've said many times that he looks like Thunder Punch He-Man, and the irony here is this Prime figure was originally a Mattel He-Man figure. But it says, although we have no idea where the head is from. Head? What is that head? Huh. Is it from Cadillacs and Dinosaurs? Is it a Schwarzenegger commando figure head? I don't know. If anyone knows, we'll post it. Adam will post it. Anyway, this is created by Michael Wallstrom of Ames, Iowa. So now on to the main homemade hero section. Third prize winners. First up is from Joseph Brown of Southeastern Massachusetts. He created the Mighty Claw Master of Sound from a Toy Biz Silver Surfer figure. And it says, does anybody keep their Toy Biz Silver Surfer figures intact anymore? I guess Claw, obviously, was in the Black Panther movie. This Claw is red with white underwear. And he has a little hand that has a drill on it. I guess that's the Claw. And it says, and the caption reads, rinse and spit. I'm ready to drill. Okay. Third prize winner, we have the, according to Wizard, the winner of the 1994 Glenn Close Lookalike Contest. It's not very nice. That's a really mean thing to say about Glenn Close who's lovely. It's from Joseph Acevedo of Old Bridge, New Jersey. And he took one of those crappy Toy Biz Storm figures and created this very cool looking silver banshee. Okay, that sounds great. Good work there, Joseph. Third prize winner, we have, uh, hmm, I just lost all feeling in my right leg. 
Maybe I shouldn't have tied that twist so tight. This is from PJ Kaufman of Maple Shade, New Jersey. I don't know where that is. He turned a ninja James Bond Jr. figure, who, into the awe-inspiring Night Thrasher. Oh, yeah, James Bond Jr. That was a thing for for a little little while there. Oh, and there's another third prize winner. It's a Kitty Pride figure. It says Lockheed in heat plus leg equals mess. Oh, boy. That's a... That's a stinker of a joke. It's from Jason Kim of Buffalo Grove, Illinois. He transformed, once again, a Toy Biz Storm into the very cute Kitty Pride. It says very cute Kitty Pride. We have no idea where Lockheed and Widget came from. I don't know either. Second prize winner. Now we're getting to the good stuff. Uh, it's a Krusty the Clown figure from Eric Baker of Orlando, Florida. Uh, it used to be a Homer Simpson figure. I had that toy. It says it, they transformed this Homer Simpson figure into the king of Kitty show hosts, Krusty the Clown. A little clay help, too. That's true. It looks good. Another second prize winner, the caption reads, Ugh, I'm constipated, from Philip Aha of San Juan Capistrano, California, who turned a Toy Biz Tusk, why does that guy have a figure and not Ghost Rider, into Dale Keown's Mighty Pit. So a pit figure. Okay. It's people like that. But the grand prize winner comes from Thomas R. Fournier of Fort Myer, Virginia, who sends us this awesome spawn figure, resurrected from a toy biz deadpool top notch job tom uh the caption reads hi i'm spawn and i make todd lots of money it's a really cool spawn figure he did a really nice job the cape looks great the chains look cool when i was a kid i was a big fan of this crust of the clown figure that's what i remember the most from this issue but yeah there we go two big contests this month in wizard 32 and now to you adam time for Hunk and Babe of the Month. Our babe this month is Psyblade. Psylocke here is definitely the hottest member of the X. I'm sorry? That's not Psylocke? It's Psyblade? Oh, right. Psyblade, Cyberforce, I get it. Honest mistake. Anyway, Psybabe here is one of the hottest babes in Image Comics, if not the hottest. But before you start thinking about asking her out on a date, keep in mind, she's a little tough to get a hold of. She's part of the elusive band of outlaw heroes known as Cyberforce, and her phone number ain't listed either. Combine that with the fact that she's a fictional character, and it's Strike 3, fanboy. Yeah, so Cyblade here, you know, a Mark Silvestri character, hard to deny it. Uh, but it's funny because right next to her picture, they actually have this old-timey drawing of a guy running in a suit, but but he has no shoes on. He's holding the shoes in his hand. And then there is a pan of water on the ground. And he's got a word balloon that says, Geez, with Psylocke, uh, I mean, Psyblade looking like that, I really need a cold shower. I guess this basin of water will do. Ha <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what do you have for our hunk of the month, Annie Flowers? Time again for hunk of the month. This time we have Quasar. He may be one of the crappiest characters in existence. But Wendell, yeah, Wendell, certainly keeps himself in shape. Must be from lugging around all those cases of unsold quasars. So aside from protecting the universe with his mighty quantum bands, what does this heroic champion of the meek do with his time off? Other than fishing, of course. What do you think he's trying to catch? Trout? Salmon? 
Red Snapper? Well, whatever it is, he'll have plenty of time to do it since his lame old book is about to be cancelled. Honestly, this guy looks really relaxed in his little boat with his fishing rod. It also looks like he has these little briefs on with uh, stars on them. They're really cute. Uh, this is something I can get behind. I could definitely use some relaxing in my life. Thanks, Annie! So apparently there were a bunch of contests in this month's issue. And the first one we're going to look at here is a Vampirella contest. And it's got a couple different prizes here. And it says first, yes, sir, Vampirella is queen of the hot babes. And now, thanks to Harris Comics and Wizard Press, you can own two, count them, Hotshot 2 pieces of original Vampirella art, and that ain't all, fella. Read on and find out what other happening stuff. What other happening stuff? Oh, trying to be hip. What other happening stuff you can get your greasy mitts on? I really, really hate some of the writing in this book. I really do. So the grand prize. One staggeringly lucky winner receives this piece of original art twice. That's right, the original art of black and white signed by artist Buzz and the original piece of colored art signed by colorist James Brown, the other James Brown. And hey, we spared no expense and got them all framed too, so it doesn't get any better than this. What you gotta do to win? All right. Here it is. Well, we all know that Vampy is a vampire babe, but what if she were a werewolf or a mummy or a fishy thing like that creature from the Black Lagoon? To enter this awesome Vampirella contest, you have to show us what you think Vampirella would look like if she were some other type of monster, and we mean in the nicest way. Submissions will be judged on both originality and appearance. We're looking for some really creative ideas, not just awesome artwork. So good luck. The second prize is Vampirella number one, first printing in the Harris series, signed by Jim Ballant and Lewis Small Jr., packaged on a protective pro guard case with a certificate of authenticity and the third prize is a super hot six foot vampirella door poster signed by vampirella herself don't ask it says okay <laughs> that's a contest there's a couple of cool things in the drawing board here the first place is a drawing of pit it's cool looking i find it very interesting and there's a tie also with Elvira and Lady Death. They look really cool, it's it's penciled. The thing that I found most interesting is one of the runner-up is uh, this character named Samurai, or Samurai, uh, it's spelled S-A-M-U-R-E-E -E by Tam Pham from Houston, Texas. And it's this like blonde-haired version of Electra, I guess. And I started looking into this character and I'm trying to track down books and stories about this character because the art is really cool and I really liked it. Beyond that, the only other thing that I thought was of note in this entire section is a Azriel and 
on drawing and this is by Maria Clarina Rea from the Philippines and it's pretty cool Spawn has got like a red mask and red it's just a little bit different looking but it's interesting and it's kind of ironic that it kind of lands in the same issue I'm sure that was planned by wizard to put it in this issue and I dig it so now we have the bad guys contest we're looking for just the right bad guys to kill in the most spectacular way. Let your imagination go wild. In 150 words or less, give us three good reasons why you deserve to die as one of the bad guys in The Good Guys from Defiant Comics. And it's pretty cool. Like, I would have probably done this because I can't draw, but I would love to have written a story about this. And so it says, have you ever gone to the post office and wondered what it would be like to see your photo on a wanted poster or pondered how you would feel watching an America's Most Wanted piece detailing your heinous crimes. Crawl into your dark side and think of three good reasons why you deserve to die as one of the bad guys in Defiance the Good Guys. The most villainous entrance, name, and likeness will be portrayed in an upcoming issue of The Good Guys in which your character will die. To enter, send a clear color headshot of yourself with the official entry blank from wizard or entertainment retailing, the original or photocopy, and an essay of no more than 150 words detailing three reasons why you would be a good villain. Two winners will be chosen as follows. One by retailer. To enter, you must currently be an owner, manager, or employee of a retailer in a comic book store or any one that sells Defiant Comics. A non-retailer. To enter, you must not own or be employed at a retail location that sells Defiant Comics. Okay. The judges, Jim Shooter of the Good Guys and the creative team and the editorial staff. Each winner will receive $1,000 cash and a one-time appearance as a villain in the upcoming issue of The Good Guys. That's cool. And that is the Bad Guys Contest. Kind of fun. I would have probably done that. Now we have the Sega CD-Rama Mama Contest. Knowing full well you cannot exist on comic books alone and that a growing body needs fresh air, sunlight, and exercise to grow up strong and healthy, Wizard Press has decided to call off up an awesome home entertainment system you can stay home and play video games in the dark while stunting your social skills my oh my <laughs> were they way ahead of their time in that thinking <laughs> here's the kicking stuff you can win the grand prize one winner and one winner only a sega and sega cd home entertainment system including the Sewer Shark CD video game. We have no idea what the hell Sewer Shark is, so just in case it really stinks, we've also thrown in the Amazing Spider-Man vs. Kingpin and the Terminator CD video games. Neat, huh? Okay, cool. As Kyle Reese, you can battle through Terminator Ravage Future, then go back in time to rewrite history. Battle Venom, the Hobgoblin, and other vile spider foes while attempting to outwit the kingpin of crime. So here's the deal. Shown here are portions of six recent comic book covers. The only way you can win that awesome Sega prize is to guess which six. We're talking particular issues with numbers here. These were lifted from. To make it a little easier on you, we'll give you a little hint. Each of the six covers that 
panels were lifted from were published in the last six months by either Marvel, DC, Image, or Valiant. Oh, great. That's really easy. Thanks. See? Ain't so tough. When you figured it out, list the six of these panels were taken from and fill out the rest of the entry listed below and mail the entry to Sega CD Contest. Okay. So all of these are very hard. I don't know. There, I would say maybe one of them might be Ghost Rider. One of them might be Savage Dragon. Beyond that, I have no clue. The other four, I am, I'm totally at a loss. And you couldn't Google it back then. But yeah, good luck. <laughs> and that does it for this edition of Wizards Half. We want to thank everybody so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing the podcast. You guys do a great job tagging us all the time, letting other people know what it is we do over here. We certainly enjoy hearing from all of you on social media, so don't forget to reach out to us at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. Hey, if you have some ideas for the show that you think would improve it, why not shoot us an email, Wizards Comics comicspod at gmail.com and hey just a little preview here to thank you for checking out this episode i will tell you just before we go i wanted to give you a heads up on what's to come next you may be expecting us to cover issue 33 but in fact we are going to be covering a special issue called the beginning of the valiant era which was a wizard special edition covering all things valiant as you might guess michael and steven didn't feel like they had a whole lot to contribute there so i had to bring on a special guest and that is mr chris bailey aka at charlton hero on twitter and we get in depth on valiant history and i will tell you it was a fantastic discussion i can't wait for you to hear it and of course after that issue then we will go ahead and get back to the regular issue 33 so much to discuss there as well so until next time keep your books bagged and boarded This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.